Thank you for joining us today on the Sword and the Trial. Graham and I today get to interview Don Vanot and Ron Hinzel, the authors of this updated book, A Matter of Basic Principles, Bill Gothard and His Cultish Teachings. Uh, it's a very important episode, and these are matters that will affect conservative Christians in the West, uh, especially here in America. So we hope that you will benefit from this. We also want to thank our Founders Alliance members who support us by prayer and invest in this ministry as partners and help us to do the things that we do. We would love for you to join hands with us in this ministry. If you need more information about that, you can go to founders.org, look under the Founders Alliance membership or the Church Alliance membership, and we would be glad to talk to you further about it. Welcome to the Sword and Trial podcast. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exist for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today as we are going to have a conversation with Ron Vanot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me try that again. Ron Henzel and Don Vanot. We were just discussing it's, uh, the... Pencil, by the way. Yeah, the, the pr- <laughs> precise way of pronouncing Don's name. And I got his last name right, but it's the Ron and Don show, basically, that we're going to have here today. Uh, these brothers are uh, the founders and uh, the uh, uh, leaders, the, the ones that operate the Midwest Center or Outreach Center, Center of Outreach. How, which is it? Midwest Christian Outreach. Christian Outreach. And it's basically an apologetics, a research organization. And uh, I would encourage you to get to know them. We'll link uh, to uh, places where you can follow them and get more information in the notes to this episode. But th- they are very careful readers, very careful researchers, very careful speakers, uh, very often about controversial things. And um, in our day, uh, we have a lot of hot takes, you know, (laughs) so the hot takes usually 30 minutes later have to be amended. (laughs) And uh, that's not the case with these two brothers. And we want to talk to them today about a book that they wrote many years ago, but has been uh, updated and reissued called A Matter of Basic Principles, Bill Gothard and His Cultish Teachings. Now, uh, you can tell from the subtitle that uh, this is not something that is soft-pedaling the errors of Bill Gothard. We've talked about Gothard on here two or three times. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Ginger and uh, Jeremy Wolo on here. Mm-hmm. You know, Ginger's family was heavily involved in that. And in fact, Ginger wrote the forward to this edition of the book, and she says something like, I've never read anything like it. So... From an insider's perspective, it has received high commendation, and the people who have commended it uh, in their uh, back cover and in the frontispieces of the book are also like a who's who of careful biblical scholarship and uh, Christian thinking. So, Ron, Don, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Don, you are in Chicago? I am. Okay. And Ron, you're about, what, a mile and a half from us or something here in Cape Coral? <laughs> I, could, I could get there in an hour and a half on foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, had we been thinking as we should have been thinking, we would have had you sitting here with us uh, in the studio, but we're happy to have you join us uh, via technology. So brothers, thank you so much. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about how you formed this Midwest Christian Outreach Center and why you did. I mean, that was back in the mid eighties or something, wasn't it? Well, w- my wife and I started uh, outreaching Jehovah's Witnesses. That was the our plan. and had nothing to do with ministry. She just had a passion for some friends who were Jehovah's Witnesses. That was in the late 1980s. 
and then uh, along the way, she decided she would open a pre-recorded helpline for Jehovah's Witnesses that they could call and get a little short message, three to five minutes, didn't answer it because they're in fear generally of being caught by the watchtower. Mm. Uh, but we started getting phone calls on other groups along the way. And so Joy said, I'll do JWs, you do everybody else. And that's kind of then what led to starting Midwest Christian Knowledge in 1995. And about that time, Ron and I had met shortly before that, uh, we started getting phone calls about what people were saying was a cult in Oak Brook, Illinois. Mm. Oak Brook is pretty expensive real estate, so I couldn't think what sort of a cult would be there. Um, and there were accusations of holding young women against their will and, you know, that sort of thing. And as we did some some digging, we discovered they were talking about Bill Gothard's Institute of Basic Life Principles, which we said, you know, may be legalistic, but not a cult as far as we can tell. However, the phone calls we were getting grew in number and intensity because of a variety of things that were going on in people's lives. Mm. And so Ron and I talked about it. I thought, well, we need to get some of the material and look at it. And Ron also had personal experience with mm. um, someone in Gothardism, his cousin. And so we started getting the material thinking maybe his followers are just misusing his teachings. That happens. Um, as we started reading through it, we became pretty concerned because what we discovered is, and we, I kind of saw this as a young believer. I went to the first night of one of his uh, uh, seminars. We never returned. Uh, but as we started looking at the information, I kind of realized why we didn't return is he uses the right language when he's communicating something from scripture, but he gives new definitions to the language. Mm. And if you're not paying attention, you miss it. Yeah. Now, what year was that, Don, that um, Dick Fisher sent you that, or you, were, you passed on that Dick Fisher article to me that kind of got our cooperation going? Was that be 94 or 5? Yeah, probably around 94. Well, I, I had come out of a spiritually abusive group in 1992, at the end of 92. And when I was in that group, the leader uh, several times referred to the fact that he was once employed for Gothard and his institute. Um, so when I got out, I wondered how much of what happened to me in this group traces back to the teachings of Bill Gothard. Well, just so happened at the beginning of 93, I started working for Gothard's alma mater, Wheaton College. I thought, well, you know, he's a pretty big name. Surely there must be something in Buswell Library or the BGC Library. I couldn't find hardly anything. Hmm. Uh, their, one of their biggest, you know, most well-known alum, and they had hardly anything from him in their libraries, and I realized after a little bit of digging around, you, the only way you could get materials was to go to the seminars. So I started coming across things in used bookstores. This was the, the day when used bookstores were still a thing, uh, a big, more of a big thing than they are now. And then later, when we started writing articles, then stuff started coming in. We got a big, big shipment of stuff from an ex, right. a recently, mm. you know, resigned ex-member uh, that really boosted our research. Wow.
Thank you for joining us today for this conversation on the sword and the trowel. Tom and I wanted to invite you to come and join us down here in sunny southwest Florida, January 23rd through the 25th for our National Founders Conference. Uh, this next theme for next year is going to be Revive Us, O oh Lord, a, a whole conference on revival. Uh, Dr. Tom Askell, Dr. Bodie Bauckham, Jeff Johnson, Dr. Joel Beakey will be some of the speakers that will be there with us. It's going to be a wonderful time as the Founders National Conferences always are of fellowship and growing in the word. Uh, so go to founders.org, uh, look at some of the information on the conference. We'd love to have you here. And if you'd like more information, you can see some of that at the end of this podcast. If you had to boil down in um, in one sentence, no, that's too much. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> give you a paragraph, but a short paragraph. What's wrong with hmm. the teaching of Bill Gothard in his uh, Institute of Basic Life Principles? Um, his distortion of grace would be A, number one, I think. Mm-hmm. Number two would be his uh, definition of uh authority and how it comes about and how it is used. Uh, and then number three, and it comes, it sort of feeds into the other two is his, um, uh, how he actually understands the teaching of scripture. He lays out, uh, pretty carefully. We think, mm-hmm. uh, the proper hermeneutic for understanding the text of scripture. And then he abandons it for something else where, he um, memorizes large portions of scripture and then prays for the proper interpretation. Mm-hmm. And his interpretations <clears throat> typically do not align with what the text actually says. Yeah. So uh, the way I, the way I put it in the title of one of my first articles is I titled it Bill Gothard's Evangelical Talmud. Talmud, right? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever. Seen it, and I, I chose that title carefully because uh, it was around that time I first I first time I'd ever seen a printed edition of the Talmud was mm. in Buswell Library. And it was huge. Mm. You know, I mean, it's multi-volume and each volume is enormous. And um, and that's kind of what it's like trying to live up to Bill Gothard's teachings. I mean, they just don't end. Yeah. He's got a dozen steps for this, 10 <laughs> steps for that. Eight, mm. and, he, and, you know, give him a few minutes, he'll come up with more. He's been out of the Institute now for, I don't know how many years they fired him. And I went to his website recently and found several more steps wow. that mm. you got to keep. Yeah. You know, he didn't even know when, uh, when I was just beginning in ministry, I think I'd been a pastor two years and went to serve as an assistant pastor at a large church in Dallas, that church in Dallas, which I think was, was, uh, Gothard's headquarters at the time, or at least he had a big presence in Dallas, uh, there were many families in that church that had been helped by him. And some of the best families in that church, most well-ordered families were folks that were constantly going to these seminars and they were trying to bring me along and I just never could work it out of my schedule, but I had only positive uh, perspectives on Gothard. And when I came here, you know, I didn't know much, uh, there wasn't much contact with Gothard here, but when people would ask me, I'd get phone calls and letters periodically. And my standard response for several years was Bill Gothard is not too bad if you don't take him too seriously, you know, so you (laughs) just kind of just realize, okay, like, yeah, seven steps for recovering from apostasy. I remember reading that when I'm thinking, this is a joke. This this is crazy (laughs) to anybody follow this. Well, in, in 1994, maybe 93, uh, he came to uh, Fort Myers. Uh, Ron, were you in this area at that time or? 
No. Okay. No. Well, he came to Fort Myers, and I guess they have this deal where you have to get all the pastors in the area, evangelical pastors, to sign off or something like that. So I got invited to this meeting with all the other pastors, and you know we're being told about it. And I'm still very, you know, generally positive about him. Well, they said some goofy things in that pastor's meeting. One was on the the verse, you know, the, the guy, the front man who was kind of warming us up to him coming in a few months with videos. Uh, he said, well, Gothard has uh, been doing some deep stuff. Or Bill's been doing some really deep study on on women and uh, men. And, um, you know, man is the head and women are the heart. And so, you know, the man is the one that leads and thinks. But the woman's the one that has the affections and all. And, and so we need to esteem women because they're the heart. Anytime you see heart in the Bible, it's referring to women. And so I just, you know what I did? <laughs> yeah, the heart's wicked and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, and and, uh, and and our table laughed at that. But when we went to the seminar, we took like 24, 25, 26 people from our church every night for a week. And after the second night, man, I'm just I'm torched, you know. And I'm thinking, and some of our folks quit going, fortunately. But it, I spent the next six months deprogramming people. Right. I mean, it, it was really deadly. I had to repent for exposing them to this. And when he wanted to come back a few years later, I just said, no way. I said, I'm not signing off on it. I don't, you know, so, and I don't know if he did or not. But from that, we, we had uh, some people deeply affected. One woman, particularly a single woman, deeply affected by him. We tried to help her and we did, but I don't think it wound up helping her too much. But I didn't find out until I read your book, the first edition of it, that she actually left here and went to work for him. Uh, up in Illinois, and she became part of his staff up there. So uh, anyway, those are the kind of personal connections that we've had here in the church. Fortunately, uh, we haven't had anything like that in the last 25 years or so that we've had to uh, address. But we know of people who have been deeply affected by this. And so we're so grateful for your book. You mentioned that, uh, you know, Grace his distorted view of grace is one of the most significant things. I mean, Graham, we, our church is named grace mm-hmm. and we emphasize <laughs> grace uh, all the time. Want to get that right. Yeah, that's right. You know, and so um, we would certainly be concerned about an abuse of grace, which we've seen. Yeah. You know, it can go both ways, right? I mean, mm-hmm. go too hard, too, too soft on either side of it. Um, would uh, Ron, would you mind telling us how Gothard distorts grace? Well, he, he uh, Don probably has his definition verbally memorized better than I do. Yeah. Really okay, corresponds- he tells you, because he, he uses the word, and then he gives you a definition. And what happens, you were sitting in seminars, you've seen this. He gives you the word, and then he gives you a new definition that for most people just kind of goes past and into their brain without thinking about it. And it is this. Grace is the power and ability to do God's will joyfully. Now, God may give you the power and ability to do his will joyfully, but that isn't grace. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, it's, it's really once the Roman you get Catholic that established, then he was on to say that you can get more grace as you do certain things. And so, he fundamentally has a Roman Catholic view of grace, mm-hmm. but there's this fount of stuff somewhere that you can access by certain acts, behaviors, mm-hmm. and so forth, where that you then gain more grace to do more good works, to gain more grace, to do more good work. Wow. And a, an interesting story, after the book, first book came out, um, I was driving down the street one day, and there was a car broken down on the side mm-hmm. of the road, and I stopped to lend a hand, and it was Bill Gothard. And <laughs> we had spent several years dealing with all these issues, and 
So I offered to drive him back to the Institute, and he's a little concerned. I said, Bill, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it, isn't a doc, it isn't personal. And so as we're driving, he said, well, it's too bad we couldn't resolve these issues. What do you think is the worst problem? I said, well, I don't know. It's hard to pick. Grace is certainly one of the most egregious ones in your view of authority. So he said, he offered, he said, if we met maybe once a week, would you be willing to do that? Maybe we could take one topic until we get it resolved and work it out. And I thought, yeah, that would be interesting. And so Ron was in Florida at the time. And I drive over there every Monday. It was Mondays with Bill. Ron would be on the phone with us. And we talked about grace for six weeks. Mm. And we kept pointing out, your view is Roman Catholic. He was going to have Spiro Zodiatis in on one of the meetings with us to demonstrate that Bill Gothard's view was correct. And once Spiros realized what it was, he decided not to attend. Hmm. At the end of the six weeks, and, and Ron had done a magnificent job of demonstrating from Roman Catholic documents that his view was Roman Catholic, he finally said, the Catholics aren't wrong on everything. And I said, you're right, but that doesn't mean they're right on this. They're not. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 the Catholic teaching of condign merit, right? I mean, that right. it. So. Well, actually, this this uh, he doesn't really get into merit so much, and you know, congruent versus condign and things like that. But it's more like the way um, the way Alistair McGrath puts it in his book on justification is that by the Middle Ages, grace had become kind of like a. a, a like a fuel that you pour in, like, mm. you know, jet fuel. Mm. Right. It helps you to do what you need to do to please God. Mm. And, uh, you know, there is no idea of unconditional, unmerited favor, or we might even say demerited favor. I mean, mm. it's God doesn't, you know, show us grace or favor us just in spite of our sins. Well, you know, he does. In spite of our sins, it's not just that we didn't do anything to deserve it. We did all kinds of things to deserve his wrath. Right. Right. So, you know, he, he um, every once in a while, if you push him into a corner, he'll acknowledge it. Oh, yeah, that, that meaning's there. But, like, this is the important one here. Mm. Uh, he'll go to James where James says, uh, you know, uh, God opposes the proud, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he'll say, well, see, grace is conditional. Mm. <laughs> you need to mm. humble yourself to get grace. Wow. Uh, you know, do, you know. <laughs> Kind of ignoring the opening part of that verse where James says he gives more grace, you know, kind of assuming you've already gotten some, yeah. now you can get more, but now we're in the Christian life. We've been regenerated. James covers regeneration earlier in his epistle. Well, anyways, all that aside, he's he's really into uh, you need to do things to get grace. Mm. And in the, at the end of the day, you end up with really, it's kind of like the way... Um, Michael Horton and company kind of showed back in the 90s that a lot of evangelicalism has converted certain things in evangelicalism into a similar parallel sacramental system that mm -hmm. Rome had where, you know, you walk the aisle, you do this, you do that, and you get the grace, right? Yeah. Um, that's what Gothard does in spades mm -hmm. all the time with everything, with all of his checklists. It's all about getting more grace. Well, and the ch yeah, checklist, it's interesting to come to that because right in the very first seminar, he gives you the seven important words, non-optional principles of life. So it's almost like the Decalogue of the Mosaic mm. uh, Law. You know, these seven non-optional principles, and then all of the other steps 
et cetera, that follow that, and there are hundreds of them, uh, stem from these seven non-optional principles. Now, if you take those as seven recommendations, seven things that might help you in life, that's one thing, but they're non-optional. Yeah. So you're already in trouble yeah. if you question them, you have violated them. You know, Tom, you mentioned the couples that seem to be doing well with Gothard. They lived orderly mm-hmm. lives. I like the way you said that. And I agree. I, uh, I've i known several different families who are really into it, and that's the first impression you get is uh, they're, they're orderly, they're dignified, and you know what? They're, they're Many of them are happy. Mm-hmm. You know, they they seem to be joyful. Um, and uh, But it works really well for people who have that kind of checklist mentality. If that's your dispositional bent, where, yeah. and people like practical things. You make things practical for me. Tell me what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And when you say, tell me what I have to do to be successful in the Christian life, you get a lot of ears perking up. Uh, but that takes it away from grace, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it shifts the focus from what God is doing for me. And I'm not saying we don't do anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying everything I do, everything that he calls me to do, turns me back to his grace. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Sword and the Trowel today. Uh, if this episode has been helpful to you or if any of the resources that Founders Ministries puts out is helpful, and there are many resources if you go to founders.org, uh, we'd love for you to come alongside us to support us in our ministry and in our endeavors. Uh, the Lord's been kind to us and faithful to us in allowing us to do so many things from our publishing to our podcasts to our theological journals and conferences and many other things. Uh, but if the Lord is calling you to come alongside us and support us in this, we'd ask you to go to founders.org and you can go to the Give tab there and support us financially. Uh, We thank the Lord for your gift. And it's it's not that everything he says is completely wrong. If you take things that he says and you you put it in this framework of understanding the gospel, well then, okay, there's some good practical things. I mean, Graham, you're raising three little kids right now. Mm-hmm. And so there are things that parents need to do uh, to help train their children. Right. And I, I mean, you don't let your kids just run wild and mm-hmm. say, well, that's grace. Right. So how do you think about even parenting, understanding the gospel and uh, understanding that, but nevertheless, there are rights and wrongs that our kids need to be taught and consequences mm-hmm. for actions. How do you do that Christianly? Well, I think there's there's two things. I mean, first, understanding uh, God's law as he's declared it, you know, just basically in the Ten Commandments. And those things are, those are not optional. And Don, you mentioned, you know, the, the seven non-optional <laughs> steps. I mean, okay, well, if, it, if it's non-optional, then it better pretty clearly line up with the law of God, right? Because yeah, if yeah. it's not lining up with the law of God, well, what I've done is I've I've instituted new laws um, that are not God's laws. Mm-hmm. And that's just legalism. But when it comes to, you know, your raising your children, there are certain things that are not necessarily God's law, but you still institute in your family to have a well-ordered family, Mm -hmm. as you said, you know, so God's law does not say, you know, thou shalt have one lollipop per week. And so every once in a while, our kids have two lollipops per week. But we also understand that in the way that God created the world and the way that God created children, if you give them too much sugar, you know, you're going to pay for it and they're going to pay for it. And it's not good for them. So there are rules like that, that you institute that, you say, this is good for my family, but this doesn't necessarily, this is not conforming to the law of God. Mm. Um, and, and and furthermore, you know, there's that, 
that understanding of grace, um, it's it's it just goes to our natural bent as religious people, um, naturally religious people, who want to do what it takes to get the outcome, the religious outcome that we want. What do we do to have happy lives here? What do we do to earn God's favor in the life to come? What What is it that I can do? Uh, and that's a very natural religious question to ask. And certainly there are things that we ought to do, but the things that you do are not what gives you favor with God. The things that you do are not what gives you a happy life here. Um, it, it, it's understanding God's grace as an unmerited gift, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. there's nothing that you could do. You know, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, you got to be humble first in order to receive that grace. You know, we're we're going through Daniel, preaching through Daniel at our church, and we just went through Daniel four, in which Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, and God humbles him mm. first and then grants him grace. And it's actually the humbling. God humbles him, and that is the grace. grace. And Nebuchadnezzar says, mm-hmm. See the things that God has done for me. And he recounts how God made him into a beast for seven years and then allowed him to lift his eyes to heaven. Um, so all of that is grace. All of the good things that we that we do in some way come to us through the grace of God, but the grace comes from God and it enables us, it's unmerited, it enables us to have a right relationship from God, with God and then those things can flow through that grace. Mm, yeah, so there's any kind of formulaic <laughs> Christianity, seven steps to this, eight steps to that, and if you do it, then it's gonna be just right. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, alarm bells ought to go off because yeah, yeah. you're forgetting but that there's, there's a God in heaven. There's more. There's really very. Don mentioned earlier that he he starts out giving good hermeneutical principles, and then he proceeds to violate them. A, another thing he does very early on. This is like literally within the first two minutes of his first seminar. Uh, he talks about he, his his heading is how to trace problems to root causes, and about a minute and a quarter into it, he lays out this slide called Wisdom, talking about wisdom, and in it he makes two statements, which really, we we really pressed him on these. He never, he never admitted he was wrong. He says, makes two statements. Number one, life has intricate cause and effect relationships. Life is like this web of cause and effect relationships. You do one thing, here and you get a negative effect over here. He, he kind of emphasizes the negative, you know, but he also does talk about the positive if you follow his steps. Mm. The second thing he says is that these causes affect unexpected areas. So to give you uh, an example, uh, it might sound extreme, and I don't think I'm cherry picking it, though. He talks about, uh, you know, making good decisions, well, in this one story, uh, a couple makes a decision to adopt a child. Was this God's will or not? Well, uh, uh, not too long after that, the husband starts having setbacks in his business life, and they conclude that, and, and Gothard uses this as a positive illustration. They conclude that it wasn't God's will to adopt. Well, hmm. Uh, that they were out of God's will. There was a cause and effect here. The cause was they adopted the child, and that led to the negative result of something going wrong in his business. So mm-hmm. guess what they did? Okay, the they child. returned wow. the child. Wow. So how, how did this guy get so influential in conservative evangelical circles? <laughs> well, this is like one of my number one favorite topics. <laughs> that is the good old boy network. 
Oh, what is that? We don't know anything about that. That's part of it, Don. I think, but I think it's I think it's a big part of it because you had uh, uh, people that were attending the seminars and not kept. You know, you imagine you're sitting in a stadium uh, because he was packing out stadiums Mm -hmm. with uh, with a uh, uh, a notebook where he gives you the information you're going to be going through in each session just before the session. So it's not like you can read ahead. You don't have time. You don't have the ability to open your Bible and look up the passages because you have this notebook open. You're filling in uh, blanks very quickly, and then you leave and you go. I really learned a lot, and you share it. Your pastor was there, and everyone's kind of excited. And then Pastor uh, Ron shares it with Pastor. Um, uh, I don't know Pastor Bill down the street, <laughs> who, who then trusts Pastor Ron because Pastor Ron is pretty discerning. And so he tells on somebody else, and pretty soon you have this growing group who are excited about these new areas of learning about, and very few checked the theology. There's a, there's a couple, Dr. Yeah. Dr. Earl Rodmacher, for several years tried to bring this to task. On the Lutheran fellow, the um, right. doctor, the man in his ministry, I'm trying to remember, he, he it caught his attention. He lived in, in the Twin Cities. And they came to town, and here comes this guy, and he's not a very good speaker. He has an overhead projector, you know, but he packs the place out for the whole week, and he gets people to pay like 30 bucks a head, you know. I, I would say the, the Good Old Boys Network is part of it, but another part of it is, think of what time it was. Think of the day right, it was. Time, yeah, it right. was the late 60s, early 70s. Right. Much like today, uh, society was coming unglued. You had riots. You had bombings at the, you know, in the, in Washington, D.C. You had, uh, you know, hippies and drugs and parents wanted to know, how am I going to keep my kids out of this? Hey, and that really, safe. that really was his main shtick. That was his, his, his real, uh, that was the nerve he touched. That's wasn't, what wasn't I think the, made him explode. Wasn't the, the initial name of his teaching the Institute of mm-hmm. Basic Youth Conflicts? Correct. Yeah, yeah that's was. when I knew it. That's what, how I first yeah. heard and, it. And he starts out his seminar, first night, Ron was talking about first night. First night, he tells you the problem is authority. Now, that resonated with everybody because mm-hmm. we had chaos and pandemonium in the country. Mm-hmm. And parents were, you know, obviously concerned about their kids. And then as he goes through this, he then gives you a definition of authority. Uh, authority... Um, um, you know, it's structured from the top down, of course. You have God, your pastor, the the, the father, the mother, etc. Mm. And if you, he tells you if you're under the umbrella protection, here's where the definitions come into play, uh, then you are protected from all manner of evil. Mm. You know, car's not going to break down. You'll meet and marry a, wow. a lovely Christian wife. And so wait a minute, Don. I'm going to interrupt you here. So how did he explain his car being broken down whenever you stopped it? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it doesn't always work out. So, uh, so if you're under the umbrella, you're protected. Now, if you get out from under the umbrella, then you're in rebellion, and rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. And so that's why you have all these issues. Now, here's an interesting component, because a little later in the first night, he tells you about Jesus, and he says the only story we have about Jesus is when he was um, about, you know, 12 years old, and he remained behind in the temple, and his parents left and didn't know, and they came back frantically looking for him, 
And then, catch this, this is critical. And he says, and then Jesus had to make the tough decision to get back under his parents' umbrella of protection. Oh, wow. Wow. And so the first time we met, and Ron and I are sitting there with my pastor and another individual, Marty Butts, and I asked, I, I laid this out, and I went step by step. I said, Bill, now as I understand your teaching, you're under the umbrella, you're protected. If you get out from under the umbrella, you run rebellion, and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And then you tell us, and he says, yes. I said, and then you tell us that Jesus had to make the tough decision to get back under the umbrella protection, which necessarily means he got off from order to begin with. So how is he not a sinner that could not save us? <laughs> Either your teaching is wrong, or Jesus is a sinner, and we are yet in our sin. Mm. And he hesitated, and he looked kind of up to the left of the room there for a little bit, and then he said, no, my teaching is right, and Jesus isn't a sinner, but he could never tell us how that worked. Mm. Yeah, yeah, don't ask, don't mm. tell. Well, brothers, we're so grateful that you have written this book, um, and we would love to encourage everyone to get a copy of it, because it's even if you don't know who Bill Gothard is, you've never had any direct dealings with him, the influence of this kind of thinking has permeated um, various yeah. sectors of the evangelical world. Conservatives, mostly. Liberals don't give it any time of day. But it's the conservatives who would be uh, more easily made prey to this false teaching. So we will make uh, a way for this to be made available to you. If you just look in the notes on this episode, and we'll happily uh, point you to a place where you can get these. But Don, Ron, Thank you so much, brothers, for joining us today on the Sword and Trial. We're grateful for you. Keep doing your great work. We always appreciate what when we see things coming out from you because we know we can read it with great confidence that you have done your, your homework and that you're careful. You're not going to overstate, and you're not going to leave a stone unturned that should be turned. So we appreciate you very much. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to The Sword and Trial today. If you uh, like this podcast and you think it's helpful, please pass it on to others and hit like. And if you haven't subscribed, please do that to your favorite podcast platform. That helps us in the way the algorithms work so that we're not deplatformed as easily as uh, would otherwise be the case. So we're grateful for your being here with us. We look forward to next time.